Hello, everyone. It's been a minute since I've been on the microphone. I took a bit of time off to focus on the book launch, do some speaking, those kinds of things. And then I'm just freshly returned from a lovely 10-day vacation in Iceland with my husband, Rob, and the kiddos. It's easily the most restful vacation I've taken in a long time. I think largely because we were just surrounded by beauty. Every moment was really rich in waterfalls, glaciers, sheep, steep mountain cliffs, so much water everywhere. Just a really, really breathtakingly beautiful place. I think the other piece that made it so restful was that uh, it was fairly unstructured. We had like one thing to do a day. So it was like 2.30, go rafting, or 4 o'clock, go horseback riding. So every day had a lot of open space, not a lot of pressure or schedule. And thirdly, I pretty much only interacted with my family. And while I like lots of people outside of my family, it was really refreshing just to have a lot of really simple, lovely interactions with them and to have the through line of conversations that unfolded over days in the car or over the course of a week and were really uninterrupted by any other input or any distractions from the outside world. So it's been a gift to come home from a trip like that and feel quite refreshed and rested. And now we have just a few days before kiddos go back to school and Rob and I get back into the swing of a busy fall schedule. So wherever you are, whatever your situation, I hope you are enjoying some last magical moments of summer before the transition of the new season and new schedules for many of us. Today's podcast is the recording of a conversation that I had with Mary Firestone. Mary is a fellow author with the same publisher, sounds true, and she's just recently released a book called Trusting the Dawn, How to Choose Freedom and Joy After Trauma. One of the things that I enjoyed about Mary's book and about the conversation that we had is her deep curiosity about how healing happens and in a way, she's sort of tried all of the things in our conversation. She talks about um, the traumatic experience that really unraveled her and the variety of strategies that she experimented with or explored in order to recalibrate or find a sense of new connection and wholeness after her traumatic experience. So I hope you will enjoy this conversation. It has some heavy moments, but overall is very hopeful, very curious, pretty playful, and hopefully a good soundtrack to your day. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. Let's start with the book. Tell me about your book, and I know it's it's... It really very much about sort of finding resilience and lessons and meaning in the aftermath of really difficult experiences. But I'd, I'd love to hear kind of what prompted you to write the book and 
Well, I have a background and I have my master's degree in psychology and my sister and I have been producing and curating our Wild Precious Life retreats for almost 10 years now, which was a way to offer healing modalities and teachers and tools that had been really effective in our own lives. So that's sort of my background. And I had just moved up to Montecito from Los Angeles with my then husband and child. And we'd found this amazing farmhouse in Montecito and just renovated it. It had been there since 1890. Wow. I know. And the Thomas fire broke out and and we were evacuated and I was pregnant again at the time. And and then the mudslide happened and we were not in an evacuation area. And I think being from the East Coast, like a mudslide, I, I had no concept of what that meant. It didn't really sound... Right. It doesn't sound like a like a dire life and death emergency. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like like a dirty day in the garden. But of course, on a, a mountainside, a mudslide is super, super serious. And it turned out to be super, super serious. So, yeah, you know, it was an extremely traumatic event. I was trapped for five hours. I thought my husband and child were dead and they weren't. They survived. We all survived. But it was an incredibly traumatic near-death experience and shook me to my core. And in the aftermath, so what prompted me to write the book was you know, going to different therapists or just even in conversation, like how many people would be like, oh, PTSD, like you're going to be screwed for years on end because of this and for the rest of your life. And it was kind of this curse. And while yes, I did have PTSD and I had a ton of healing to do, I also was experiencing this kind of like awakening and this greater connection to what is beyond what we can see and like our three-dimensional reality and amazing things were happening for me. And so the book came about maybe like a year after I was on my way back from my Princeton reunion on the plane where I get my best ideas. And it was like this, okay, forget it. Like I don't want everyone that's had a trauma, which is most of us to think that you're cursed for the rest of your life, it's actually can be a great opportunity. Yeah. There's a lot of things about your story I want to respond to, but first of all, I'm like a little bit horrified on behalf of my colleagues in the therapy and psychology community that that was a message that was given to you because, because, you know, I obviously share that sense that that's, that's just not true, that trauma is a part of life for many people and can be a source of tremendous healing and enlightenment as much as it's a painful, painful process to walk through. I know for me too, and having that background as well, it was like, well, it can actually be for me a portal. And I even say in the book, a gift. And I don't mean that the trauma itself is the gift that in many cases is a tragedy. You know, those things should should not happen to anybody and we don't wish them upon ourselves or anybody. However, the gift is in the what comes through the healing and in this realization that life is fragile and then therefore that much more precious. And it was just a really good awakening for me. That's just how I can explain it. And that's why I wanted to write the book to offer to others that there is, you know, you get through the the tunnel 
And then there's this bright light, and that's why I call it trusting the dawn in part, because when we're in that tunnel of despair and that post-trauma darkness, they'll keep going, because on the other side, there is great light and beauty. I feel like so much of my work as a clinician comes down to this simple belief that I try to transmit to people that I'm talking to that like, I promise it won't always feel like this. Oh yeah. You know, it's that, it's that sense of like, just hold on a little bit longer because the dawn's coming. Like something's going to clear, something's going to shift, just wait it out. Yeah. So like for you too, what's so notable about your experience with the mudslide is you had that five hours so I think about that for you, even in in the titling of your book of like having to having to wait, like what was happening in those five hours for you? So I was awoken at around 4 a.m. And I don't know what woke me up. Maybe I like to think that, so I was pregnant with my daughter at the time. And I, I like to think that she woke me up and we hadn't, we just moved into the house. So we hadn't put curtains up yet. And we had these huge glass French doors and the sky, I guess there'd been a gas explosion. So the sky was this like eerily beautiful orange pink. And I remember thinking, huh, it's too early to be dawn. And then I didn't have time to think much else because I could see just like this tidal wave of the mountain like coming right for us. So my then husband, you know, I woke him up and he ran to get our son upstairs. And, um, I didn't have time to follow him because the mud and the debris and glass and furniture was up to my waist already. So I ran to my bathroom and had a view out the window of literally the half of my house that was my living room and then the children's bedrooms ripped off, turned around facing backwards, going down the hill at like 30 miles an hour. And I thought they were in it. So... I was trapped in the bathroom on the counter. The mud stopped an inch below the countertop. And then everything went dark because it was the, you know, it was 4 a.m. And it killed all electricity or light sources. Yeah. Oh, everything. I mean, there it was complete apocalypse. So I was in the dark for many of those five hours. And in that time, which again, is like trusting the dawn, I was waiting for dawn to come so I could kind of assess the situation and try to figure a way out. But during that time, I mean, I've always believed that in God and in, you know, that there's more to this realm <laughs> or there are, are other realms. And in that time, it really was like, I felt there was a presence with me. I felt divinely protected. I've had images. and So even in the waiting was this sort of spiritual movement or this depth of connection to something bigger than yourself. Exactly. And it was a real opportunity to use all of the tools that, you know, I'd been practicing my whole life, but to breathe and to attempt, I wouldn't say I was meditating, but attempt to just really keep myself calm I also used aromatherapy that night. I had um, a bottle of an, a flower essence tincture called Inner Peace by Lotus Way, which I love, on the counter with me. And I, you know, used that and just inhaled and really, you know, felt it through my body. And just I knew keeping myself calm would be better 
Yeah. And that essential oil love is like my sister and I have a a perfume called The First that's all about, it's all essential oils that we chose for how they make you feel, not just because they smell good. So it's it's been a passion, but I feel like that night was an opportunity to really, to use all of the the skills and the passions and keep myself alive. Yeah. Keep yourself calm and your body grounded. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that there is such a narrative culturally that trauma leaves us irreparably broken? I think that until recently, trauma has been something that we as a culture have kept hidden either because for shame, like around sexual abuse or physical abuse. I, I think shame has been a big part of it. Or like if if we're suffering, then, then we're weak or something like that. So I think that has been changing just in our culture. We're talking about these traumas more. And granted, a mudslide is, you know, most people will not endure a mudslide, thank goodness. I also talk about a couple instances of sexual abuse in my childhood in the book, because unfortunately, so many more people can relate to that. And I include interviews from all different kinds of trauma survivors in the book, just so people can find themselves. But I think I'm I'm glad that we're talking about it more, and that there are more resources and you know, just thinking about raising my own children, how different the conversations are than when I was growing up. So I, I think that's why there's this stigma because we haven't been offering the tools and the healing to people maybe even early enough, not that it's ever, it's never too late, but I just think, wow, if I had like started therapy or healing at age seven after my the first instance of sexual abuse, like how different that might have gone for me. So I think that's a big part of it. Now we just, there's more offerings. And again, like, you know, your book, my book, like a way for people to not feel alone, not feel like they're the only one, release that idea of guilt or shame, and then also offer the tools. That's the whole second part of my book is all different healing modalities that I tried from flower essences to shamanism, to EMDR, to ketamine therapy, to, you know, even psychological astrology, but looking at the healing from all different angles. And is that part of your book sort of an, an, for lack of a better term, kind of an evaluation of how well that method worked for you? Are you kind of making recommendations for the reader? Try this, don't try that. Yeah, I introduce each modality, like what it is. And then I go into my experience with it and then who it would be right for, wrong for, like at what point you are in your healing or, you know, if, for example, if there was like a a physical abuse trauma that perhaps, you know, body work might be something that might be extremely helpful just to get you back in touch with your body in a healthy way, you know, things like that. So then I talk about that and then how you can find a practitioner or how you might be able to to implement the therapy on your own, depending on what it is, resources and and things like that for each modality. It sounds wonderful. Like there are so many resources that are available to people that I think people just don't know about. And 
it's hard when you're in a vulnerable state to be a savvy consumer of, you know, healthcare products for, for lack of a better term. That's not a very, not a very sexy or sensitive way to say that, but, but when you are in need of something, but your heart's broken and your brain is flooded and you're unsteady, it's a really tricky time, I think, to find resources and ideas that are, you know, sound and trusted. And so I, I love that sense for that that's part of your book is this sort of tour through some of the different choices and helping people think through what might be a good fit for them. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I was incredibly motivated with my own healing because I mentioned I was pregnant at the time and I had, uh, he was four at the time, my son. So I really felt this like, I've got to clean, like, you know, get through this and heal myself so that I can help them or not pass it down, you know, like the generational trauma. I'm like, mm. so it was sort of, you know, it was for myself because I wasn't sleeping. I was having nightmares. I was having panic attacks. And then also I felt this drive to do it for my children too. I think one of the things that gets really nuanced and I, I think it'd be lovely to talk about it with you, is is some of the, I might call it pressure for spiritual bypassing that exists in, in certain faith communities or, uh, you know, among certain groups. And I, I have a very specific experience with this growing up in an evangelical community that at the time was very, very helpful for me. But in in retrospect, moving on, I've kind of found different expressions of spirituality. But as I was growing up, there was certainly a lot of language around, you know, God works everything out for good and God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Or I had a, my mother, I had a parent who had a significant disability and people would say things like, well, she's one of the strong ones. That's why God is allowing her to carry kind of more of her share of difficulty. And I remember even as a teenager kind of be like, I think that's bullshit. Like, I don't think yeah. that's how God works. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I think sometimes there can be this sort of rush to, hey, I had this terrible experience. I had this traumatizing event. And here's how it's worked for good. Here's what I've learned from it. Here's how I'm healed. And it sort of becomes this again, I would use the word spiritual bypassing. It, it becomes this like check mark of here's how I've grown from this. And yeah. the growth is impossible, but I think we have to be so careful about a rush to growth or the the sort of painting over the pain with a picture of growth. So I, I don't know, how, has that come up with you in, in your conversations or how do you how do you think about that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like in a lot of these conversations, healing is a lifelong uh, it's an evolution. It's never like, oh, healed, checked, all all done, you know. No, it's like there's layers and layers and layers. And that's nothing to be afraid of. It's I I think and when I think about those comments like, well, you know, God, you know, gives us what we all can handle and it's God's work, like all this stuff. I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I think it's more each layer that we peel back there's some beauty to be discovered in the the layer. I mean, there's things I'm still discovering in my healing from those childhood instances or from my divorce that was a couple years ago, but there's like new discoveries that 
I think maybe if we're going to go to the divine languaging that don't get revealed to us until we're ready to embrace them, maybe. And I agree with you, like you can't rush through the, although there is that that instinct, right? To be like, I don't want to feel this because it hurts and it's uncomfortable and even physically debilitating sometimes. But that's part of it. That's part of the the healing and the and the growth and the honoring of what you've been through. Yeah, I th- I think sometimes the language of healing gets a little tricky because if the grammar sounds binary, right, healed or not healed, and I wish we had a a, a languaging that implied in process or in a state of healing. Because I, I feel like that's, at least for me, it's like so much more representative, you know, in my, in my work and in my experiences with grief, I don't believe that I will be healed from those. I'm not trying to heal my grief. I'm living in it with all kinds of light and delight and love and gladness, but not trying to reach this sort of other state where it no longer is part of me. You don't get over it. No. And I'm so glad that you've just said that because one of the through lines for all the different modalities that I worked with and write about is the concept of integration of the trauma or the loss or the grief. So it's not that we're trying to, or the goal, if there is a goal, but I mean, the goal is not to like get it out or get over it. The goal is to integrate that experience in a way that allows us to thrive, I think, and and then to also then help others and kind of this pay it forward aspect that for me has been incredibly healing. And I think that that was just added to the stages of grief. There's like an eighth stage that was just added. That's something about if we then pay it forward or help others, then that helps our own healing even more. Maybe I don't I remember hearing it somewhere. Yeah. If not officially added, definitely. It definitely makes sense. I'm adding it right now. Too. Yeah. Let's <laughs> declare it. We are deciding. Yeah. yeah. So the integration and yeah, like how does that experience broaden the way that we see the world? How does it deepen connections with others who are still here? How does it deepen the connection with ourself? I think those are, and how do we appreciate our time here more, you know, and the, it sounds so cliche and I don't mean to be Pollyanna about it all, but you know, the flowers, like what, the ocean, the sky, the clouds, the just appreciating more. I think being in that state is helpful. Yeah. And I think that's the the duality of the life and death story, right? There can be this pull toward aliveness that happens in the wake of trauma that, that is very grand. I mean, I quite literally created a garden after I dealt with a lot of loss and death because I wanted my hands in the dirt and I wanted to like cheer on my little sweet plants as they were like making their journey from the seed growing. And so that, that longing to have a connection to aliveness, I think is a very real and important part of looking for how to reground yourself after a a traumatic experience. Yeah. I love that. And that one of the women I interviewed in the book who's a dear friend to Kathy Eldon. She lost her son, Dan, 
Eldon. He was a photojournalist in Somalia, and he was killed by a mob. And she talks about what you just said, like planting a garden for Dan. And she and her daughter Amy have started this incredible nonprofit called Creative Visions, which is all about activism, and they empower young activists from all over the world. They help them, you know, get their projects done, and and it's all in Dan's name, honor, and sort of keeping him alive like that. I really recommend her book, by the way, Kathy Eldon's memoir. I feel like you would love it. She's such an awesome mentor just in life as a woman. It sounds amazing. So tell me about these retreats that you do. Is is that your primary kind of entrepreneurial presence in the world or are you? It's interesting because we've been doing them for 10 years now and we've done them. So we started, my sister and I, Lucy, were extremely close and we started working together. We both became really disillusioned with the film business that we were both active in, in different ways. And we started travel writing. And so we're writing, you know, little snippets for travel and leisure magazine and jet setter and the Louis Vuitton travel guides. And that was the first thing we did together. And then we realized the retreats were kind of born from this realization that when you're away in a beautiful place, you can kind of tap into your true essence more purely. So We were combining beautiful places with teachers and sharing, you know, what what worked for us in our own lives and our evolution. And we've done them in all over California. And we just got back from Moustique and the Caribbean, which was amazing. So the retreats are awesome. And we just did a couple events with Joe Dispenza, who I love. He's such a powerful meditation teacher and guide. And... We also have this perfume that is sort of, we call it a retreat in a bottle. It's called the first because it's a way for people to, we talk about it being a ritual, you know, taking the time to think about what you need, like the sandalwood for grounding, the rose geranium to calm fear, juniper detoxifies. So in making, spritzing yourself a ritual. And then we have our second perfume coming out later this summer called Open, that's more rose-centered, all about like heart opening and tapping into that feminine side a bit more and in our love. and Amazing. I love the sensuousness of your work. You know, I... Yeah. I've unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, I'm, I'm proud of the work that I've done in the life that I've lived, but have a very like heavily intellectual background and it served me well in a lot of ways, but there's this embodied sensual nature to the kinds of things that you're working on to provide support and healing for people that just sound really juicy and lovely and very in keeping with how, you know, how we know that hard things land in the body, that there's that need to sort of unlock some of the the body's wisdom. Yeah. And being in a space that allows, whether it's like with the perfume and your sense of smell or being in a beautiful, like on a beautiful island or in the desert surrounded by beauty and nature, again, just allowing ourselves the time and the space, whether it's a moment or whether it's five days, the time and the space to really like connect with ourselves. And then because nature, right, we're part of nature, we are made of everything that's around us. So just really that kind of interconnectedness 
has been really important for me. Also having a, a very heavy intellectual, you know, going to Princeton and then Pepperdine and then realizing like, whoa, there's so much like my brain can process things, but I still feel it in my body. And, you know, just thinking something through isn't enough. Like, and that's really what led me to into exploring the more mystical aspects of healing. Yeah. Tell me about maybe one of the the mystical practices that has most settled with you or has been really important. I mean, there's two. Which way do you want to go? We could talk about yeah, either one. Okay. Both. Both. I want all of it. Okay. Um, I would say one of the most profound healings that I did and continued, well, I've, I've not done it again, um, but I did ketamine therapy with a psychiatrist. It all came about very organically. And I was, you know, the girl that was like so afraid of drugs. I grew up in the just say no era. And, you know, drinking alcohol was one thing. But for me, I had some bad experiences with pot and was like, I don't do drugs. And ketamine therapy literally changed my life. I feel like I tapped into like other dimensions that I had this awareness that are always present, but were so conditioned in our society to not access them or to ignore them, you know? So for me, and I had a great guide, Dr. Jeffrey Becker, who is a brilliant, brilliant psychiatrist and doing a lot with ketamine right now. He helped me so much just in kind of, it's like zooming out or depersonalizing the trauma. Both I had, I could see my seven-year-old self in that sexual abuse trauma and see I had this like gorilla come out of the darkness that swept the little seven-year-old girl away to safety. And, you know, recognizing that that was like my fierce warrior aspect of myself, like stepping forward again and protecting, which was really empowering. And the mudslide, I sort of saw that too as it just depersonalized. And I realized it was like an act, a force of nature. And there was nothing personal about it. Yeah. I mean, obviously we've talked a little bit of people who've listened to the podcast will know that this is certainly one of my interests is in psychedelic supported psychotherapy and the ways that they kind of do just as you're describing, like give us a different lens through which to see our experiences that feels a little more accessible or palatable or a different angle. And it's still ours and it's still personal and it still happened, but you sort of see and feel it differently. And it tends to loosen maybe the imprint of the first experience. So I'm so delighted that you found that modality and that it it really served you well. It really did. And just as, you know, I think one big piece with a lot of trauma is this, why did this happen to me? And or did I, especially in like, like physical abuse situations, like, did I do something? Is it my fault kind of thing? And I think through the ketamine therapy, and then also I did do MDMA therapy as well. And it was sort of in the MDMA therapy, which came after the ketamine for me, it was realizing that just as the mudslide was a force of nature, whatever was moving through those men was also a force of nature. And I just happened to be in their path. So it's not, you know, it became super depersonalized in that way, in a good way. There's nothing that I did 
or didn't do. You know, it just, it was what it was. It was a force of nature. And for me, that was really healing. How about your second, your second modality that was really powerful for you? Well, in the mist, I mean, EMDR was really helpful, which is not mystical that I would really recommend to really to everyone that's experienced loss or trauma. And that can be done with a therapist, a trained therapist. And on the other end of the spectrum from that was shamanism. I worked with three different shaman over the course of, I guess, gosh, a couple years. And you have to be really careful because shamanism a lot, it, it can come from voodoo or black magic, some of it. So I think you have to be really careful about who you work with because some of it, one of the people I worked with, I was like, oh, this feels really funky. Doesn't feel right. So I would say to anyone who's interested, really trust your instincts and your gut. And if something doesn't feel right, don't do it. What do you do with a shaman? Like what does a shaman interaction look like? Well, they all three were really different. One experience I had in the desert of Arizona with a shaman named Tim Frank. We did a lot of talking and then it was really hot. We were in this yurt. We did a lot of talking and I did a lot of crying. And then he had me lie on this massage table thing and he was like swatting me with like eagle wings and branches and I think he inserted like acupuncture needles at different points, but they're in and out really fast. And there was drumming and chanting. And it was really hmm, hmm. intense. Like and a full sensory experience for sure. It was, Sherry. And I was lying there willing myself, you know, like to go with it because there's part of part of me that was like, is this for real? <laughs> What's going on here? Mm, yeah. But and... When it was over, oh my gosh, I felt like I'd had spiritual surgery. And, you know, as he's ushering me out of the the hot, sweaty yurt, this owl, you know, went right overhead and hooted. And Tim was like, that's the greatest sign of spiritual, you know, rebirth, the owl. Okay, now (laughs) like you haven't, you didn't make it this far to like, to be taken out now. You have to like go out and... This was way before the idea of the book came, but go out in the world, spread your light, spread your joy. You need to, you know, you have more to do here. So that was a really powerful experience. Wow. So as you, as this book comes into the world and you're sharing your experiences, you know, of course, I imagine that that folks will come to you and, and, and share their experiences of trauma and Without it sounding super sound bitey, but you know, what is what is the thing that you really hold to in terms of the hope that you extend for others who are on their healing journey? What's the encouragement that you offer them or or leave with them? Well, I think the first thing that I want people to know, and a big part of why I wrote the book, is for people to know that they're not alone and that there is support with this book and My hope would be to even form some kind of community. I don't know what that looks like yet, but just to know that you're not the only one and that if I can do it, you can do it. And if the other people that I interviewed in the book can do it, you can do it too. So that, you know, encouragement to know that, that you can, and, and that I'm here to help you. The book's here to help you. And there's resources and tools that would be the first thing. And the second thing, because I've thought about this a lot, especially as 
there's terrible things in the news every day and trauma and unbelievable tragedy of really thinking about this idea that no, that the the gift is not in the tragedy and the loss. The gift is in the recognition that life is fragile and to live it more fully, more connectedly. Is that a word? Yeah. To connect more with those that are here, connect more with yourself, enjoy yourself more, enjoy life more, you know, because it is fleeting and it is precious. So that's the gift. So for folks who are eager to get their hands on the book or to learn more about you and your work, what's the the best place for them to to follow you online? There's a website devoted to the book called trustingthedawn.co because calm was taken. And um, my sister and I also have a website called wildpreciouslife.com where there's information about the retreats, the perfume, and also links to the book there as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mary, for your time and sharing of your story. What a delightful conversation. I'm super excited for your book and for August when it will come out and we can, I can get my hands on it. Thank you. I'm excited to read your book too. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me, Sherry. It was such an honor to get to connect with you like this. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.